Hey, we're in Thessalonians, and uh, I want to talk a little bit about this whole topic of love that has made many of us do dumb things. Uh, you fall in love, you're smitten. Uh, I was thinking, you know, what dumb things have I done in the name of love? Uh, and I, or what I thought was love, because isn't that a good qualifier? I remember one of my first crushes, I think my, my first crush, I can't say her name because we're live streaming, you know? <laughs> so, and you have things traced back. So, was this girl in fifth grade in Mrs. Dominic's class, and uh, I had, I'd been trying to think of a, how could I convey to her how much I like her? And so, I went down to Mike's Drugstore, which was in our neighborhood, and I think it was like $1.19, which at that time, that would be like $500 now. <laughs> so, I bought for $1.19. <laughs> I bought this. I bought this little necklace and ring set, and I thought this is really yeah. Th see, that's the, that's what. Why couldn't she feel that way? So, so I had purposed on this recess that this particular day I was gonna walk up to her. I'm really hoping I don't trip and say her name. I, uh, that I it's not Cindy, unfortunately. Um, uh, she'd be worth a lot more than a buck nineteen. So, come on. Where are the men? You're supposed to support me yeah. in that. Yeah. So, rule one. Yeah. So it was recess and it was raining. So you remember in recent, those days you had indoor recess, which stunk. But I was I was smitten. So I walk over to her desk and I've got the necklace and I've got the ring and I tell her how much I like her. Which one would she like? And she says, she says, both. So I have no backup plan now. I have no backup plan for the other girl that I was also deeply in love with in case, <laughs> in case, in case this didn't work out. So dumb stuff you do. And that's, that's, fortunately, that's innocent and tame dumb. A number of us have done some, some dumb things that you, know, you look back on and think, oh, man, that was embarrassing. I'm glad I did it, but that was embarrassing. And some of our stories. We have things we did, we, we thought we did it for love, and, and they were just foolish, you know, or maybe they would fit into that tragic thing. So we can talk about love, and we can talk about just what a powerful emotion it is. It drives us to, to do things, things we do because of love, you know, that I hope we constantly are doing, whether in our families or in church family, that's what we're going to be talking today, things that we do because of the power of love, which Jesus would say was an incredibly powerful emotion. He would say, this is the way people are going to know that you're my disciples, if you love each other. That would be the mark that he would look at. And then when John writes, and John, all through John's letter, and John, it seems like, had this kind of heart change, like Pastor Ted was talking about. John's in the Gospels saying, hey, this man doesn't agree with us. Let's call fire down on their village. Or they didn't receive us. Let's torch them. And now in his letters, he has an incredible sensitivity where he keeps talking about love. That How can we say we love, we love God if we don't love each other? Here is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. He just keeps rolling that out in, in the power of love. In the early church, one of the early church fathers, Tertullian, had this as a testimony about what, how the Christians were. And you can see he's pretty early. He's about 160 AD. Look, they say, how they love one another, for they themselves hate one another, and how they're ready to die for each other. 
for they themselves are readier to kill each other. He's talking about how the culture looked at these Christians who they were new and they're still trying to figure out and, and what they were. We have to make sure that doesn't flip because it's in, in this culture, we're pretty well known, unfortunately, by the things we hate instead of by being, being love-driven. So this will be an important passage for us as we just step into that point of, okay, am I a person who is, who is loving and what would God say to that? And I want to set that up a little bit with this video that we came across. And, and the copyrights are such that we're allowed to show that on live stream, so we don't have to, to drop you off as we go. So if we can just get the lights and then we'll start that. Just going to speak to you about a little bit of your love journey. In 1 Thessalonians 4, we're in this passage which challenges us to, to, love, to love each other, to love within the body. That is only going to happen if you are able to rest, as Pastor Tim is saying, if you are able to rest in the fact that God loves you and how deeply loving he is towards you, how healing his, his love can be in your life, how his love can overcome all of these bad love experiences that we've had. That if you can rest in that, then you're able to allow his love to flow out into the lives of other people. So we're looking at a, at a church in Thessalonica as we look through the series that only had a few short weeks to their, you know, to their history, to their journey. And yet in those couple of weeks, God did a major work of transformation and of, of changing them. So I just want to speak to that to those of us that get hung up on, well, this is who I am. You don't know how I've been, you know, you don't know how I've been wounded. You don't know my story. All of that gets swept aside by the power of the gospel, that the gospel comes into your life, the word comes into your life, and just begins to transform you. It, you know, it changes your thinking, which then changes the way you live. So here we are in, in 1 Thessalonians 4, and I want to start reading in verse 9, just a couple of verses. So it says there, Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another, for that indeed is what you're doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. 
you imagine that? Can you imagine getting a letter at Cottage Hill? Someone coming in and saying, hey, I have a word from the Lord or for you. This is, I feel like God put this on my heart, that he has nothing to say about you, about loving people, because you're doing it so well. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine any topic or any, you know, any area of your life where the word from the Lord would be, you're doing great at this. We have nothing we need to say to you about it. That would be pretty good. I mean, I remember, you know, cleaning the house, doing whatever, and hoping some, somebody come home and say, wow, perfect, and nothing else, you, you didn't miss anything. I say that, you've heard my story over the years. I mean, my mom, when it was time to clean our rooms, she checked for dust under the bureau. So you can understand what thorough meant in my life growing up in all of those ways. So he says to them, yeah, no need to, to teach you. Now, all of us in our mind right now have this, this thing going on in, in our heads that, am I loving? Does this going to apply to me? Do I need to love more? I love enough. I love enough. It's, I love the way my personality is. I'm not going to love like other people. I'm not that outgoing. All those things that are running through our mind like they do whenever the scriptures open. I mean, whenever scriptures open, most of us, almost all of us, our minds are racing in the area that, okay, I think I'm pretty good in this. Maybe needed a little tweak, but I'm going to be okay. Isn't that funny? Instead of just that sense of, hey, God, whatever you're going to say to me, ignore how I think I'm doing here and just say what you're going to say to me. So we're running through that. We're running through that in our mind that we are loving. We're loving in our own way. It's probably important for us to step back a second and, and just remember, Paul has just told us what love is not. When he just finished this section about what holy sex looks like at the beginning of the chapter, he told us, when you cross boundaries with people, when you make people do things they're uncomfortable, or you drive over their, their line, whatever that is, that is not love. It is never love that's driving you to do that. And, and now he circles in and, and talks to us about what that does look like. It's the kind of love that God teaches. You see that? He says to them, the, the brotherly love, you have no one for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. Only time in the New Testament this word is used. You've been taught by God. I don't think he's so much talking about they were on site and they were teaching, this is what God says about love. I think he's telling them that there's been a work that God has been doing in their hearts to show them what real godly love looks like. Totally different than Greek culture or totally different than the Roman culture of the day. It was something that was self-sacrificing. It was for the good of another person. It was to help another person become all that they're supposed to be. That's what love does. That's the investment that love makes and the initiative that love takes in somebody's life. God has taught you. He's taught you by his Holy Spirit. He's taught you by uh, pouring his own love into your lives. Romans 5, 5, a verse I just love so much, says, hope does not put us to shame, or in the NIV, hope does not disappoint us, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Those of you that, that you just keep people at arm's length because of your story, because of experiences you've had, you're, you're doing that as a demonstration of showing that you've not allowed God's love to, be, to reach the places in your heart that it's trying to reach because he's pouring it in there. He's pouring it in there and it will, it will reach everywhere in your life and do everything that it needs to do unless you stop it. 
So, so you're being taught by God because the Holy Spirit's at work. He's, he's poured his own love into you. You've been taught because you see Jesus, how Jesus loves people through the Gospels. We've got the example of the Lord Jesus. What does it look like to love people? What about people who are outcasts? What about people that think they're better than you? I mean, Jesus is just constantly reaching out to people and being truthful with them, but being truthful really well with people. So you're being, you can be taught by him. That's, if you're a loving person, then it's the kind of, of love that God teaches. It's the kind of love that reaches beyond us, which is really the challenge, I think, in, in any church. It's a challenge in our church because we're just normal, that you love, you love your us. You love your circle. And, and if you're part of a church family, it's just natural to form a, a circle of people that you're closer to, you connect with, you've ex had experience with, and there's really nothing wrong with that unless that becomes the only circle in a church family that you know and that you serve and you minister to. So he says to them, their love just reached out. Remember, we're, we're probably maybe two months away from Paul's being there, so in a couple of months, he says in verse 10, for indeed, that's what you're doing, to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. Throughout all New England, people know about how well Cottage Hill loves people. Throughout all New England, Cottage Hill has sent people to, to love people. They've found out about needs, and they've gone out, and they've loved people. That's what happened in Thessalonica. They were just so transformed by the gospel that they just went out, and they loved people wherever they were from. Now, Thessalonica is a hub city. It's like in New York City. People would go down there, and then they would go back home, and so maybe that's how the, the word is getting out about them or their influence is getting out by people coming in and then going out whatever that is or however that was, they are not keeping it to just their circle. They're looking beyond themselves to see where does that go. They aren't, they aren't the city of Ephesus where they had a church family of Jews who hung out together and Gentiles hung out together and they resented each other. They were people that though they were very different from each other and they only met each other a few weeks ago, they connected because they shared this thing in Jesus. And they understood in, this, in, their, in their situation, in their tough situation, they had to stick together. And this culture is going to be increasingly hard, I think, to live openly for Jesus. And so all the more important that we know each other and that we support each other and stick together, like, like they had to in, in their day. They're not the city of Corinth, where the people that, that had the degrees or that had culture or had intellect Look down on the other people who weren't. Corinth had to be this incredible mix because you had people that were really smart and intellectual. Paul takes them on in chapter one. And then remember we've seen in chapter six, he's telling, I remember some of you guys were prostitutes and some of you worked in the temple and some of you just worked on the street. So that was quite a mix. And yet they splintered out. Paul says, some of you are just creating these fan clubs. Some of you are for Paul, and some of you are for Peter, and some of you are for Jesus. And so you, you just splintered out. Not in Thessalonica. In Thessalonica, they just had this sense that this is who God has called us together to be. And, and if we're together to be, then we need to be taking care of each other. And, and we need to be serving each other. Isn't that how ministries roll out? Isn't, isn't there just a moment when Linda Mumblow just loved women who were homeless with their families and, and where were they going to go? 
Isn't there a moment when Bonnie Gatchell just had a burden for women that were being exploited in the sex industry and that's where Route One was born out of? There was a moment when our friend Greg Dyson had a, a loving burden for teenagers who were marginalized and that was the birth of Lion's Den. Or Matt Courier who has a, has a burden for children that need to be reached and, and that's, the, that's the birth of Hope for Kids. Or at some point over 125 years ago, is it 125 years ago, the mission? Was it 125 or 100? 125 plus. Okay, well, that's like that. I thought we went to that thing for 125 and got the keychain. Okay, <laughs> all right. Yeah, that was, that was a year or two ago. So way back, uh, I think it's Mr. Cummings had a burden for you know people that were on the street, people whose lives have been, who, lives have been broken, and that was the birth of the Springfield Rescue Mission. So it's important that we talk about, hey, how do we take care of each other well? How do we help each other grow well? How do you step past yourself and step into other people's lives well? But at the same time, realize God may roll that out, a, a burden you have into ministry, into a ministry that he raises up that other people partner, that bring people, like Tom was saying, that bring people to Jesus. So they were doing that. They had a love that... God taught them that they received to rewire how they felt about love. They, they had a love that was reaching out, and so he affirms them in that, hey, we don't need to write to you, we don't need to say anything to you about it, you're doing this well. And so there's that sense, again, that we got that inner debate, well, you know, that we have, I'm doing that pretty well, I, you know, I'm busy, but I do this so well. However you're thinking about that, here's, here's where, he, where he takes them. Everyone is loving, but no one is loving enough. You had to receive that from me this morning or from the Lord this morning. You are not loving enough. Because if they were loving like they were loving, and so that he says, I don't need to say anything else to you, look at what he says, where he goes at the end of verse 10. But we urge you, brothers. Remember we saw that at the beginning of the chapter when he, he made this pretty strong, we're urging you, and here he is again. We urge you, brothers, to do this more and more and to aspire to live quietly, to, have, to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as we instructed you so you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. But we urge you, brothers, we don't need to write to you to tell you what to do because you're doing it really well. We just urge you to do this more and more. So the, however in your mind that's working out, those of you that wrestle with guilt, and maybe, you're, maybe you needed the word from Pastor Ted this morning because you just feel like, I gotta love people better because then God will be happy with me. You, you need to rest in that God is, God is pleased with who you are. You just need to rest in that and then serve him out of thanks. But if, you're, if your mind is going in that direction that I don't love well, I gotta get more involved, I gotta clear my schedule a little bit, I gotta step past myself, whatever that is, whether you're there or you feel really good about it, you've gotta hear God say more and more. More and more. Not that we're looking to, to pile guilt on you or a burden on you, but just an availability from you before the Lord. Here's this church family. If you're newer to our church family, they really believe God is orchestrating who's here. We joke about it a lot, but we seriously believe we're not your average church. And so if he's brought you here, he's brought you here for a specific reason, that, that we need you, we need your story, and we need your gifts, and we need your backgrounds, and you also need us. And so there's gotta be that openness that goes both ways, where 
You allow us to step into your life. You, you step into our lives to hear from the Lord and, and what it is that he wants to do. So how, however it is you're loving, you need to hear the Lord say more and more. Peter says the same thing in, in his first letter. Having purified your souls by obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. Okay, he's affirming them. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you've been born again, not of the perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Here's the ministry of the word. Here's the result. You have a deep love for each other. And then you get into his other letter in 2 Peter. He says, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. Wherever you are, he says in 2 Peter, because in 2 Peter he says he's no, he knows he's going to die soon. Wherever you are in that spectrum, add more brotherly love and then add to that agape. So wherever you are, however open you are, however involved in people's lives you are, more. You know, affirm what you're doing and allow the Lord to affirm what you're doing, but then look for more opportunities. You know, Warren Risby writes in his, his little commentary in the New Testament, he says, God is going to place you in circumstances to give you new opportunities to love people. If you pray out of this passage, then he's going to orchestrate moments for you to step in and love people, serve them, help them to grow in Jesus, whatever that might look like. He's going to create these opportunities. If your heart is on the other side, it's God, I want to, I want to love people better. I want to experience you through me loving people, showing me what that looked like. If you go back to chapter 3, he actually prayed that over them. He said in verse 12, in chapter 3, verse 12, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. It's kind of funny. He prays that they'll abound. Then he tells them they're doing a really good job at that. And then he tells them, just do more. Just continue to grow in it. And maybe that's how we need to absorb that. It's not do more, do more, because we certainly don't want to be a church that drives do more, do more. Maybe we need to just hear it as just keep growing in that. Grow in your availability, grow in your wisdom of, of how, to, how to love people and how to serve that. But come into that place where you say, I am not loving enough. God, God, I'm not loving enough. Show me how to love better. Show me to have love wider. Protect me from the evil one because he's going to try to pour false guilt into, into a moment like this. He's telling them to love in a hostile situation. And we keep coming back. He was only there three weeks because he was driven out in persecution. So he's telling them this in a hostile situation. So those of you that you need to love Jesus well at your job, you think, man, my job, you don't know my job. Or you need to reflect the love of Jesus in your family. Some of you, family is a tough place. Some of you, this is a, a refuge, a moment for you to come to church and sit and worship with people who are of one mind and then to go home where that is not the case. That's hard. That can be hard. So you love well in a hostile situation. And certainly in this culture, this is not a culture. This is becoming more and more a culture of hate. And so we will stand out all the more if we just love well. Yeah. Not compromising, but if we, just, if we just love well in it. Jesus says, this is his place, you know, in John 13, where uh, I think I've got it. Yes, sorry. 
In John 13, this is the upper room, night before he dies. It says, now the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of the world to the Father, having loved his own, so he's, he's been loving, who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And in John 13, you know what he does next? He washes their feet. He loved them to the end at this moment. So you're in the upper room. I love them to the end, wash their feet. What an incredibly humble thing to do to show his love for them. But he's not at the cross yet. So then he loves them enough to go to the cross. And then he loves them enough to show up, you know, in, in that sorry room where they're all so afraid to show up there and to encourage and comfort them. And then he loves them enough, then he loves them enough to, um, to meet them by the lake and to commission them. So he loves them to the end, but then he kept loving them and kept them doing what they needed to do uh, along the way so that they could experience his love. It's that, that element that nobody is loving enough. Here Jesus says, I loved him to the end, but he had more love to give them and more love to demonstrate to them along the way. More and more. That's our prayer. God, we just want to love more and more. We want to love better and better. I want to love more wisely. I want to love more selflessly in those areas. I just need to show you to do that. What does that look like? Well, you get to dial back kind of the, to the, the Pharisee who was talking to Jesus, and Jesus says, well, what he says to Jesus, to Jesus, what should I do? And Jesus says, well, you know, love God and love your neighbor. Well, who's my neighbor? That kind of lets us know how, what does this look like? So he tells the story of the Good Samaritan, which tells us, your neighbor that you're supposed to love is anyone who's in need. You know, however like them you are or unlike them you are or however much you like them or don't like them, that's your neighbor. What can you do to meet your neighbor's need? You know, if we circle back to these ministries we referenced, wasn't that just looking at here are some of our neighbors and how do we meet their needs? You know, and maybe that's where God is going to stir. Maybe some of you are going to be stirred to look into some of these ministries and see how do, we vol how do I volunteer there? How do I get involved in those places? Who is it? Maybe the prayer is, God, just open my eyes to see the needs that are around me. Maybe the need is pausing rather than service ends and just booking right out and pausing to listen in to what's happening in people's lives. Because most of the time, that's where the Holy Spirit will tell you what to do when you are hearing people talk and you're getting to hear what the need is and the Holy Spirit can say something to you about helping them meet that need. When there's a group of people who are burdened about the same need, that's when ministries get birthed, you know, and things that are done in the name of Jesus. So that sense of we need to love more and more. We need to love better and better, wider and wider. We need to be known for that. I don't agree with the thing, I don't agree with what they believe at Cottage Hill, but they sure do care about people. That would be a great testimony to have in this culture at, at this time. And then loving people well, it's interesting how that circles into, so what does that look like in your life? As he says to them, uh, when he goes on, he'll just say to them, uh, so do this more and more. Inspire to live quietly. That, that means not stirred up. What a good word for this moment in our culture. 
just live your life quietly with a quietness that's not thrown out. For them, it's because they're living in, a, in persecution. They're living in a very tense environment to be a believer. For us, there is so much coronavirus panic. And the word from the Lord is just live quietly. Don't live stirred up with all, all the theories and all the what ifs. Live wisely. Just don't, don't be the, among the people that are getting crazy about this. In, in, in one direction or another. To mind your own affairs. To, you know, to live quietly, not stirred up, and to live quietly, not stirring up things. You know, the Proverbs will say, you know, whoever would foster love covers over an offense, but whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. That's the person that's, did you hear what this person did? Did you hear what they said? That just separates. And so we're called to love people. Love doesn't, it doesn't overlook sin. Sometimes that verse has been used that way. It just isn't looking to, to put it out there wider than it needs to put out there. He says, live quietly and work. Work with your own hands, which the Greeks looked down on manual labor. And so he's affirming that. Just be at work. Go to work and do what you need to do. Funny, he says at the end of verse 12, so that you're not dependent on anyone. Awfully easy for those of you, you know, in this COVID season, hey, one of the benefits, one of the pluses has been if you're on unemployment, it's a pretty sweet time to be on unemployment. I've heard from some people. But the scriptures would say to you to use that well. Thank God unemployment is there for those of you who've been through those seasons. But don't settle in on that. God has created you to work and given you the ability to work if he's given you the ability to work. And so that needs to be your goal in the name of Jesus is to work and not to just live off the system. So that's what he says is a way of loving people. That kind of life, it will have an impact so that you may walk properly before outsiders. So that outsiders see us living see the love of Jesus controlling us and motivating us, seeing us living our lives well and have an interest in him. That's the goal for them. Are you, are you a loving person? You know, are you a loving person? That's for you to answer. You know, in your own personality, in your own way, this applies to all of us. However a loving person you are, you have to step back into that piece that none of us is loving enough. And so we need to allow God to continue to do a work in us so that we are freer to love people, so that we are more connected to people. Please do not hide behind your personality or what you perceive as your personality. Because I feel like sometimes we, we uh, slander God because we can be saying, well, God created me with this personality, therefore I can't obey him. That's really the logic behind what some of us hide behind. He's created you, however your personality is, in a way that brings him glory and pleasure. But he's looking for you to love people through that, hands-on and, and loving people through that. Three weeks, three weeks he was there, and they were this transformed. Let me just close out with how John says. John says, here's love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us, and he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So before we ever loved him back, he showed the initiative, and he did this wild, crazy thing for us. So don't get hung up on, well, I want to love them, but they don't, really, they don't really 
you know, whenever you say that, you're saying, I won't, I'm not going to love unless I'm given something. That's not what God has done for us. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one's ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. And that's what we're trying to do, is show people God through the way we treat each other, through the way we treat them. So, worship team's going to come up and lead us, but let me pray. Lord, we're going to sing in a minute of that moment when we are going to experience love like you intended us for experience it in heaven. Would you please allow us to experience your love as much as a human can in these days? I want to pray over those for whom love is such a, a word that's loaded with woundedness and pray that they would just be able to experience the healing power of your love and acceptance. I pray that they would experience some of that healing power through us and through the ways we serve them or relate to them or treat them, that they would just sense how valuable they are. Would you direct us, Lord? I mean, some of us are are going to be overwhelmed by a message like this, what we need to do, and protect us from the guilt the evil one would try to pour on, and just help us to hear the voice of the Spirit. You will teach us, just like you taught the Thessalonians, who do you have in mind for us to connect with, and, and how are we supposed to connect with them, and how are we supposed to serve them, and when is that supposed to happen in light of, in light of life? You know all those things, Lord, and so we just surrender to you, Holy Spirit. We surrender to you that our lives will not be so much about us or our lives will not be so much about staying safe. It will be about making Jesus known. So that's what we pray in his name. Amen. Amen. Hey, let's stand together.